Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, 
the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. For a large chunk of these older episodes, I've had to cut the original intros as part of a migration process. So all that means is we're going to get straight into the interview here with the name that you clicked on. No warm-ups, no preamble, just a straight one, two and in. You ready? One, two. make much of this record on your own um not so much i did it all in a studio in greenwich uh, called vacant tv that my mate ewan runs and uh, i've actually spent the last week in there doing a lot of work for the next album over the last week um but i am wow. doing this new one a lot more from home we've just been tracking the bass and drums i've sort of spent lockdown forcing myself to learn everything there is i can learn about logic i entered into a university degree at the beginning of last year that I dropped out of that was supposed to be more to do with um engineering and stuff but it turned out to be more to do with like building synthesizers and I realized very swiftly that that was not the path for me so you dropped out quite quickly was that was did you sort of presumably you lost some money there um I I haven't focused on that yet uh (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm burying my head in the sand uh I'm sure I have but um it was worthwhile anyway in terms of just I think what was good about it is I went and uh realized no it's all right to just be an artist and to go and do what you do um, because I ended up doing maths courses and coding courses and these things that I've never historically had any talent at and <laughs> realised that very quickly. <laughs> right. Well, this is a podcast, of course, about part-time jobs and I think that that's what a lot of musicians that I've met and spoken to and, and artists across the board generally, you know, being a, a student is that kind of perfect kind of middle ground where you can perhaps kind of subsidise at least part of you know, that endeavor that you feel like you need to do? In a way. And it did it did make things clearer for me in terms of how to self-produce certain things. It was just um it, it was it was more of a realization that I could just learn a lot of this off YouTube, the stuff that I wanted to take from it and right. not have to go and learn uh maths uh and you know binary and stuff like that. Yeah. So <laughs> um I think I just didn't read the the what the brief of the course was well enough. I was just excited <laughs> as as a completely unlearned person uh, to have been entered into a course. And and so over the years, obviously you were, you were in Let's Wrestle, you know, years ago. Hmm. I mean, what what's changed between then and now in terms of your perspective of you know playing music for a living slash as much as you can? I think it's it's gone up and down, really. I think Let's Wrestle. I started that band when I was about fifteen, so. I was still in secondary school and I remember taking in like when we got single of the week in the NME to my music teacher and stuff like that. It was just, So I never did any further education or anything and then scraped about doing jobs in record shops. But Let's Wrestle took off quite quickly and, and we did quite well to start with. So that sort of, you know, I didn't focus too much. I just spent a lot of time signing on and mm. just getting away with what I could get away with. And then um, 
and then uh, when the band ended, I think I thought, I'd, oh, I've got to go get a real job. And, you know, I ended up working in this pub for a year and a half, two years where I was a, ended up managing, which was fun, but very debauched. And then that sort of, I think that weighed me down for a couple of years and made me go, it made me feel a bit ashamed of making art or, you know, whatever that, that you know, that yeah. you should be making money or whatever. And I, I it, it gave me a bit of a lapse in confidence. Absolutely. And- I mean, I, I completely understand. I feel guilty all the time doing this podcast because there is this kind of like overarching, like, you know, you need to be making money where that's bullshit. You know, people get by in all sorts of ways. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just a thing. I don't think there's many ways to know how to make money in this environment in in making art and stuff so it, it's there's no it's in the same way there's no textbook to create art there's no textbook in, into how to make it a business so it's sort of um it it's it's taken a few years for me to get there but I feel very much in the sort of a very pleased that I've come to a point where I'm just confident in the fact that I'm should doing what I should be doing yeah um yeah and I still work you know uh well, I don't know if I don't know if I'm going back here, but uh, I've been working in record shops for the last couple of years. Well, one record shop, Sister A, in particular, yeah, uh, over the last few years, which has been good. Sort of, you know, it's good to be around music and stuff. But um, I don't, you know, now I'm at the point I'm like, oh, I don't know if there's a, a shift waiting or what what's going on. You know, what's going on with them? So I've spent the morning just figuring out how do I make any money. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to. Uh, instantly be on a podcast talking about it after having <laughs> that thought this morning <laughs> i find it fascinating that you know it can take years and years and years to to figure out what you're trying to do yeah totally totally and it it, it it's it does get clearer if, if if anybody younger who's sort of freaked out about it is doing it it does become clearer but it is it is yeah. definitely an uphill struggle a lot of the time and one of the most common stories is, you know, you get a band or an artist and they do have that lightning in a bottle first EP or first album. Yeah. And then, and then it, you know, at that time they're like, you know, everything's on the up, you know, your, your job kind of lays by the wayside or, or being a student or whatever. And then you, you do the thing, you, you do, you go on tour for a couple of years and then so often it can get muddier from there. Yeah, totally. And I think I, I'm grateful in the sense that I've always managed to be a cult artist rather than somebody who sort of jumped up the ladder and had one big record or whatever you know I think that's a lot harder to uh work around a lot of the time when you sort of have a stable sort of cultish following it sort of works a bit better because you may not be making heaps of money but at least you sort of know where you are in the scheme of things totally totally and it it does put you in and it's not negative in a way but it, it puts you in a in a in a in a defined space i suppose let's wrestle to me was did have this kind of esoteric uh kind of like you know what is this strange thing mm. um feel about it and and you know I, I, sometimes that makes it hard for people to get into oh yeah yeah there's definitely lots of reasons it's hard to get into my music which is interesting because <laughs> i imagine but i imagine it's it's interesting for you because at the end of the day you're you know like many other people just doing your best to do your thing yeah and i think it's interesting it's they you know, Let's Wrestle was a very different beast to what I'm doing now. And in terms of, we were just three teenagers, just sort of, you know, we were listening to a lot of really weird post-punk stuff and sort of just doing what we could figure out. And I think, you know, as time's gone on, the more I've realised the value in sort of songwriting and um, having a sort of more pop mentality into what what you're writing mm. or what you can subvert within that as well and what you can sing about, what you can, you know 
what's the darkest thing you can put in a pop song or you know whatever and it's been interesting subverting it in that way um but it's also there is another element where i'm like oh it would be quite nice to have a hit or you know something like that you yeah. know and, and not com- constantly cut off your nose to spite your face or make make your work <laughs> so conceptual that it's impenetrable yeah absolutely I, I feel like appalling human is all of those things <laughs> yeah I feel, I feel like this is a it's the best sort of culmination of, of what you know my thought process of be has been over the last couple of years it feels like a very solid statement of that kind of thinking I think Right. And so so you, you've been working with that Sister Ray for a while. Um, I came up in conversation the other day. When you walk into a record store, mm. conversations more often than not are awkward. Yes, definitely. Can we debunk what the record store, the record shop, we're not American, the record shop uh, weirdness is? Where does that come from? Um there's many theories. many uh, many reasons I think. <laughs> I think um a lot of the time people who are, you know completely stay in the most obscure music trends going not really equipped with uh, having the best social skills and they're usually the ones mm. employed <laughs> but that's not always the case I, uh, and then another thing is you get you get a lot of questions throughout the day and it's very tiring you know there's a lot of questions that don't make any sense you have a lot of people come in and use the turntables and just put the needle on the slip mat and ruin the thing there's a lot of things to get annoyed about um so i can you know and and it's a, it's a unfortunate that sometimes people are worn down enough to be rude to very nice people but i've definitely seen it happen not so much in sister a i, I used to work in record and tape exchange in uh, notting hill when i was younger and that i think that was once voted like the rudest shop in uh, london <laughs> and um yeah and I, I remember there were certain people there that was just so you know they'd be they'd be rude to me you know like there was no it was everything was fair game which I you know in spirit I quite liked I gravitated towards you meet people throughout your life you know who are just absolute music snobs yeah you know for for lack of a better word and it's obviously documented in high fidelity and somewhat in our empire records and it's kind of all around us this kind of music snobbery and and it does make you laugh doesn't it because people play caricatures of themselves oh it's it's fascinating how people use that as their identity and actually I think the Mm. really good thing that I've had personally from working record shops has actually made me incredibly open-minded to music because I can see how small-minded some people are about certain things or you know if something's naff then it's just never going to be played or whatever you know and it's sort of I've in retaliation to that has tried to seek out some of the naffest stuff I can find and find the the weight the, the cultural weight behind it. Because so much of it does come from marketing, which in, in which in essence is like kind of capitalist bullshit. It's nothing actually to do with the the art, the music. Um, do you know what I mean when I say that? When do you, you mean know, from ha- the from the industry? Well, just how a record is presented through its press release, through its artwork, through its general marketing in a record store. Well, totally, and I think I think you know I also really enjoy that side of things as well. I find that that really interesting, and it's. Um, it's like watch. I was watching that the new BBC documentary on Keith Haring and sort of you know that sort of uh, art as commerce thing. Art should be for everybody, and and uh, you know I very much agree with that. And sort of that's why I like pop music so much is that it is capitalist bullshit at the same time as it being art. There's no real mm. line, and you can you can grand you can make it as grandiose as possible and make it seem like it's conceptual art, and that's 
fine but then you're still selling it you're still you know it's still a product you're still Mm. shifting units in a way and I think that you know I because when I was younger I had a you know I think it was a split between whether I'd become a visual artist or a musician and um I inevitably went with music because because of that aspect of it because it was marketed because it was commercial in some sort of way in the sense that there was a kind of more defined career path no not in that I think in in the like I I don't know I think you know it's like if you go into a shop and you find something really inappropriate or weird in there or whatever you know it's like it's like getting one past someone you know it's like right right. in a sense if you what's the what's the weirdest thing I you know in the I said it before it's like what's the weirdest darkest thing you could get in a pop song or what you know it's I remember thinking I was listening to it when I was a kid I listened to Marquee Moon by television and the fact he got the word ventriloquist in the song I was really impressed with and yeah and and then those sort of things I think those those are the elements that you know and that's an incredibly popular record and has sold a lot of records and quite rightly because it's fantastic but um yeah those sort of things where that's that's poetry but you know you wouldn't you wouldn't buy a book of Tom Verlaine's poetry and in the same way that you'd buy Marky Moon you know it feels quite like it's infiltration. And I feel like maybe that kind of aspect has uh, is maybe a common thread between, you know, some of the most sort of shocking or most amazing or interesting records. Yes, totally, totally. And I think that's always the thing. It's like it, it, infiltration. It's like, is my, that's the idea behind everything I want to do. It's like, if I can get one past somebody, then I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that it's going to be a physical thing that you can hold in your hands. Yeah, totally. And, it's, and, it's... and someone might not be wise up to the joke until six months down the line. Well, exactly. And it's, it's also, it's like trying to find terminology for stuff that, you know, people may not have necessarily heard. I, I, I used in one of the songs on the record, there's a, I used the phrase Pepsi habit, which I was really proud of getting into a song because it's a cocaine <laughs> abuse reference, but it's so right. it's so innocuous when it's like there, you wouldn't really pick up on it or whatever. It's, I, I love those bits in songs where it's like, oh, there's something quite deep behind it, but somebody could take it. It's, you know, it's Partridge going, Sunday, bloody Sunday. The kids have come in with the papers. and <laughs> Right, right. I mean, drugs in music is quite interesting because there's drugs in lyrics everywhere. In 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 rap and hip-hop and that side of the world, it's, it's, it's far more less dressed up than it is in country or rock. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of subtlety in, in guitar music, drug reference. I guess so. I guess so. It's It's, it's been a... I, like I think over the last few years it's been a real fascination the idea of addiction and sort of uh and, and and those sort of themes have come through a lot in the writing I think just being around a lot of people using a lot of heavy drugs has sort of infiltrated it and sort of my own experiences with it um mm. and I think I'm always drawn to sort of art that um depicts the darker side of things you know like um Toulouse Lautrec painting his prostitutes or whatever you know that's always going to be more entertaining for me than Picasso or you know whatever mm. and mm. um I don't know why I gravitate towards that or whatever but but that seems to be a big influence on everything I do um, well I think it's it exists there and it's such a prominent well-known subculture that's hidden that I think that's the main thing is because it's so omnipresent you know especially London the amount of uh, drugs in London all the time is just you're around it constantly and nobody really talks about it and you never know when Mm. you can when you meet somebody you never know when you can mention it or you know or suss out is this a person who takes drugs it's not you know it's like a weird weird thing And, and also drug people can sense other drug people 
and yeah. you know that yeah. that's an interesting aspect of it and i think it's you know if it's not talked about honestly then it's just going to continue in the same vein and it's not you know i'm not glorifying it's very ugly thing you know it's just mm. um it's i just don't understand why it's not talked about it's same same thing with like you know if you grow up a man and you're not not meant to speak about how you feel you know it's the same sort of thing i just don't really understand it and mm. it's more that that's the side of things i would like to explore you know of the things that people won't talk about or the fe- things people feel uncomfortable talking about I'm a big fan of the Fatberg when that Fatberg panorama came out a couple of years ago and then, then they had <laughs> that tiny, <laughs> tiny little five centimetre cubed bit of the Fatberg in the London Museum of London, <laughs> tiny little thing in the corner. But I loved it in the documentary because, I mean, I, I mean, I'm being serious. The reason why I love it so much is because it's factual history yeah. documenting what goes down people's toilets yeah of course yeah yeah and i think those and a half of it was drugs yeah of course yeah yeah <laughs> not half you gotta, nearly half you gotta gotta get rid of them somehow um <laughs> <laughs> but that's why i mean i mean i, I found that slightly you know because because journalism can can be bullshit as we as we know uh and and the history books can be can be rubbish as well of course yeah when you were working at the record store, I uh, I read or listened to an interview. Uh, it might have been a podcast, so, mm. so I, hope I'm, I hope I'm not uh, making you double up here, although that's kind of what you're supposed to do on a PR <laughs> campaign. Aren't you just say the same thing? It's all good. It's all, I'll say anything but, you want. But when you worked at <laughs> the music video exchange, or, or is it the tape exchange? Yeah. Um, I remember at the entrance test. Yes. Can yeah, you tell yeah, me yeah. about that? The entrance test was like, um, I don't know if they still do this, but this is when I was about 18. And I did it once before when I was 16 and you went to a school desk in, in one of the shops because they got a whole row of shops in Notting Hill and there's um, uh, there's one like main shop where the office is above and you have to sit in the shop on like a schoolboy's desk and fill out a five-page test on your either music knowledge. I think there were three pages on music, one for rock and pop, one for dance music and one for classical. Then there was one for clothes shops and then there was one for the book and comic shop. And I think I passed the rock and pop one and then like most of the soul and dance one. I couldn't do any of the others. So I ended up working there for the like, next few years. But in, in what you were saying of why, you know, why one of the reasons people can be so rude at a record shop, that's not the best way of hiring people. You, you, no, you, you could have absolutely no social skills whatsoever. You could be a hermit, you know, but you, yeah, but you collected yeah. a lot of records. Often a lot of people who collect a lot of records are hermits. So it's, um, yeah, bizarre hiring policy. I wonder if were they you, still do it. Were you given much warning on it? Did you have, did you know you'd have be having to do some of this homework? I, it's, it was sort of legendary. Like I knew, I was really fascinated with the uh, record and tape exchange because it's, I heard the epic soundtracks from Swell Maps work there. <laughs> it's so nerdy. But, um, and I'd had, you know, sort of uh, family friends and stuff who'd work there and tell you stories about like Aphex coming in with his little portable record player and stuff and testing out all the records in the shop and stuff. And it seemed so exciting when I was younger. And it's funny, I had a bit of, <laughs> had a, bit of a weird experience a couple of years ago where I was sort of like, I thought about what it was I wanted to achieve by the age of like 25 when I was about 15. And it was sort of live in your own flat, have a girlfriend, go and tour, release a couple of records and work in a record shop. And I went, oh shit, I've done all of that. <laughs> I should have set my 
sights a bit higher than what I've, you know, done. I've, I should have had some more ambition or whatever. And I think that spurred into like a bit of a weird crisis for a while. But I feel like much more centred from it now. But it's interesting those things do completely form you. And I think when you don't have like, I think because all I wanted to do was make music and art and, and stuff like that, I didn't have any interest in making money. It just never dawned on me until I was in serious poverty. <laughs> like, it was an important part of living. So you've never really had that moment where you're like, oh, shit, I, I've got to give up. You know, I've got to sort of stop prioritizing playing music over everything. Oh, I think that all the time. I think that I don't think everybody does. So don't they? It's like, it seems like, you know, you'd have I think especially when, you know, I've, I've had a lot of uh, issues with anxiety and depression over the years and you know it will just be a bad day will be like what you're doing stop everything why are you doing this get a real job and I would be so useless in any other capacity I'd be so terrible at any job (laughs) and um like I've done it where I've even gone through with having you know interviews places and I I, a couple of years ago ended up going for a job interview at the label Warp and that would be like if you told me when I was 15 that I would be qualified enough to go for a job interview to work at Warp Records I would have been absolutely giddy and over the moon and I was I was really excited about it and I I arrived at the office you know with the big Aphex logo and stuff and I was just like this is brilliant I'm so excited and then sort of I got into the thing and when I got into the office I went no, I just want to make music. I don't want to work here. Like it would be a fantastic job, but yeah. I want to have the time to do what I want to do. And and as as much brilliant experience as you get out of working a job like that and actually make some money and do some stuff, I just knew I couldn't do it. And then I really, you know, I went really tense in the interview and completely ruined it. And went, went was really weird and gave some really weird answers, I think kind of throwing it for myself in like a self-destructive way. But it's... It, mm. So I've I've got to the point where at points I've gone, yeah, I am going to quit music. You know, I think when I made the first solo album, that was a reaction to, I in my head, I had quit music, but I kept on writing stuff. And that's what that album was. I think I think it's got to be a good thing. I mean, it's easy, easy for me to say and easy for anyone listening for a listening to appalling human to say, but it's, it's a good thing that you threw that interview um, because I mean, when I when I was in my touring band a few years ago, I went for a job interview and got it at Festival Republic. Mm. And so I was on the marketing side, editing the website, just do, basically admin, glorified admin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's a us versus them. You know, you're the talent or you're in the admin department. Yeah. You know, and that's a really fucked up thing. Yeah, for, totally. For someone who wants to create. And it's, it's just, it's a thing. It's like, you know, those things don't always match up in your head when you actually get there. You know, it was you know warp is one of my favorite labels of all time it was a job that i would have actually really loved to have done you know mm. but it was just i knew a working a 9 to 5 5 days a week was not going to corroborate with with what i was doing and i think a lot of the time i think the difficult thing is and i don't think a lot of people really sort of realize this is a lot of artists just can't do other jobs <laughs> you know mm. it sounds ridiculous no, I but i know yeah. so many people who were really brilliant minds, really amazing, fantastic, inspiring people. They couldn't do any job if they tried. And I feel kind of like one of them. You know, there's certain things I can do. I can do menial work. I can work in pubs. I can, you know, alphabetize records and grade them. Uh, But at the end of the day, I can't really do too much more than that without it conflicting with what I want to do personally. It must feel so nice knowing that. 
and and to to an extent accepting that because no like saying that out loud when you're 21 you sound like a bit of a brat whereas yeah. you know at 31 it's more like no this is who I am well exactly and I think it's been a really huge like 10 year learning curve to get to this point and I think it's the first point that I've really actually engaged with it and fully um you know not expected anything more of myself than just to just create yeah so what, what's it what's it like now what's your I mean you said you may or may not have that job to go back to but what's your landscape of I guess what am I trying to say I'm trying to say what's you know what's your how is your day split between writing and producing music versus the oh shit got to get that shift in at the moment I've I've managed to uh you know sort of get past this lockdown very easily which has been really amazing and sort of um I've basically just in the same way that I spent the whole time learning how to use logic and all this stuff, it just throwing myself into it completely. And I think last year I signed a publishing deal and I'm, I'm attempting to get into the world of writing for other people. Okay. Uh, how does that start? How does, how does one start that? Ugh, well, this is the, this is, <laughs> this is, the is it having, having friends. It's the, the way I've started about is about doing it is, is yeah. Sort of co-writing with people and getting used to that experience of uh you know getting into the studio sitting down and go what what is it we want to create today and that takes a lot of open-mindedness and a lot of um you know I don't think I would have been a good collaborator five years ago but I've I've under started understanding how to do that so I've sort of started there's a couple of things that are coming that coming out in the future that are sort of me and some other people and uh which should be coming relatively soon, hopefully. And um, it's just getting used to that fact. And I, I think the more that you do it, the more, you know, it, it's the the publishers have been talking about certain people, certain songwriters to set me up with. And there's been some exciting names in there where I'm like, oh God, I hope that happens or whatever. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a really fun experience and sort of, uh, I think that's been a big part of my, you know, what I was saying before about feeling validated within it, of, of like having like, oh, I could be working with this person or whatever. And it's not necessarily, mm. you know, some somebody like me. You know, it's like I could work with this person who wrote for Will Young or something, you know. Would, that, and that would, would, would the, the structure of that, would that be like a blind date? effectively it is kind of i've done a couple like that where i don't know the person at all and some have gone well and some have been arduous and difficult um but it's just learning i think it's the same thing it's the same thing if you work in a studio you're an engineer it's like having to sort of adapt to people's personalities the whole time how good are you at uh, sort of navigating your your way amongst the crowd of you know all kinds of different personalities do you think that's a I strange question I'm, isn't well, it no it's I, I i think it's interesting and i think it's i think people change within that so much don't they it's you know i used to be incredibly caustic and cutting and you know i've got quite a dark sense of humor and i can you know <laughs> i can be a bit scathing at times and i would put that to full use when i was a snotty teenager and then now it's sort of a thing of like, oh, no, I want to be friends with people. I want to get on with everybody. I want to make good work and all these things. So it does adapt. And I, and I feel very much like I'm far better at it now. I mean, there's, there's obviously points where you have like massive social anxiety and you don't want to be talking to anyone or whatever. But um, you just have to push. The, the only way to sort of combat that is push for, pushing forward with it and trying your best at it. Do you think that sort of anxiety, that the, you know, the pangs of anxiety, social anxiety that you have, was that like exacerbated by touring in the past, do you think? No, I don't think so. I think well, I was so young when I was 
touring a lot and it, like we used to do a lot of grueling touring in america and stuff and i was very young when that happened so i was sort of okay with that it was more it came with um uh drugs and age <laughs> i think i think those are the two things that caused it i i, I got a bit older and took a lot more drugs and then I had a few years of wilderness very socially anxious and then stopped taking as many drugs and felt a lot better <laughs> and sort how, of... how, how does that manifest itself is it like an OCD thing or how does it come out of you um I just go very quiet I'm very I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm really good at not showing it like I don't think people realize it but it's just being in my own head and I think a lot of the time with uh, you know in the way I perform or the way I write or whatever, there is a certain character that's coming through that's a far more confident person than I think I really am. But people, it's quite a good mask because people think you're that confident. You know, people don't think mm. that you have insecurities. And I'm, I'm very lucky in the sense that I can hold myself in a way that people don't sense it. Um, it but it doesn't mean it's not there. So it's, yeah. it's uh, I think that's the, the weird thing about it. I think it's so easy to look at someone on stage and be like, oh, they're bloody confident. Yeah, and totally. Totally. Just kind of accept that or just, you know, put someone in that 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 kind of box, I suppose, you know, just the confidence loud person. Yeah, well, that's a skill. You know, it's a skill to be a good liar, you know, or to portray yourself in a certain way. I think it's an important skill to have as an artist. So I don't think it's... A, I think I completely understand why people come to that conclusion. You know, I really yeah. do not seem like an unconfident person. So it, 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 it like I, I can tell people that are surprised when I sort of go, oh, no, I felt, you know, it, you know, a week later and I see the same friend and I go, oh, that was awful. I felt so terrible that whole day. And they were like, you, you were laughing. You were telling jokes. You're telling stories and all this stuff. But um, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's what resides inside you. But I'm sure, I'm sure everybody has, you know, levels of that, you know. I think there's, I know a lot of people who don't work in arts who, who would sort of like come across very brash and very um, cocksure. And then, you know, when you get to know them, you realise, oh, you're not like that at all. You know, I don't think it's all necessarily to do with the job. I think a lot of people can experience that. How have you dealt with, with lockdown? Have you been, I mean, you, you mentioned you've been at the studio. Have you, have you been writing a lot? Yeah, well, it's been interesting because I've been recording tons of songs over the last uh, week and a half. And, um, you know, listening to the original demos I'd done. And this is the, clo the, the next thing I'm working on is the closest to like my original demoing and stuff. And that's definitely come from, you know, having more ability as an engineer to sort of build stuff up and, I can go into the studio and t tell the musicians, I want you doing this. I want you doing this. I want you doing this. And that has definitely been an asset um, in, in, in changing how to write and record. And it's interesting listening back as well and going, Oh, that's about that. Or that's about that. And you know, the, the way I see things in, in, in the moment in, in comparison to how you feel a couple of weeks later or, or a year later it's for instance, I did, I released this EP just before the new album came out and I wrote the whole EP the week of lockdown started. And um, I spent that whole week on the phone to my mate going, God, the worst thing you could do is write a song about lockdown. This would be awful. I'm bored. This is shit. Da, 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 da. I'm never writing this lockdown song. First thing I write is like, I didn't realise it. I didn't realise it until it came out. I heard it. I was like, fuck it. I've done, the, I've done what I said I didn't want to do. <laughs> but it didn't occur to me at all 
that that's what it was about. And I was talking to my friend again the other day, the same friend, and he was saying he had listened back to a bunch of his songs and realised, oh shit, they're about lockdown. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that we were both so adamant we don't want to do that. But it's just interesting yeah. how it's because it's I, like it's it's definitely not a bad song. I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's a great song, but it's um it's just interesting. It's like you, if you if you give yourself parameters in that sense and go, I'm not going to do this, or I, this is what I'm going to do, you'll inevitably force yourself to do the thing you don't want to do, but find a way to do it interestingly. Yeah, you wonder if it's lodged in the back of your brain and yeah. it's just going to do it anyway. Definitely, definitely. Wesley, thank you so much for this chat. It's been really, really nice to chat and Appalling Humans a great, great record. And oh, I feel like I've got, it's got so much more life in it for me, you know, even after the the handful of listens that I've had. Oh, I'm glad you think so. Yeah, I'm super proud of it. Thanks so much for having me. Just just finally, like just to end with, what uh, what what does the next few months look like for you? You say you've got a couple of releases that you're not yet announcing. There's a couple of things that I recorded just before lockdown. So I think there's a single coming up, hopefully. Uh, I don't know when that will be though. And then, as I said, uh, I've just spent the last week tracking bass and drums for the next album. So I'm going to be spending the next couple of months working from home on building that up and making it into a full thing that's and so then, quick i mean what 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 a thing to do is to you know release a record and, and be finishing up the next one yeah no it's exciting i mean uh yeah the, there was a big postpone, postponement uh from appalling humans so i ended up writing a lot more than i was expecting so it's it's been and it's also it's that survival instinct of going oh i really can't not have anything to do I need to find something to do. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm really, it's sounding really, really good. And I'm really pleased with how it's coming out. So I'm looking forward to getting that out. And then we're doing a live stream uh, show on the 16th of July, uh, which will be done with like, proper production crew and sound and all that stuff. So I'm excited to see how that's going to go. Um, Excellent. And that's a paper dress vintage, I read. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be broadcasting from there. So that'd be really great. Sorry, cool. dogs are barking. No, that's all right. Love them. <laughs> Love a dog. Yeah, indeed. Thank you so much, Wesley. And I'm really looking forward to, um, well, I'm looking forward to seeing that stream. Brilliant. Yes, fantastic. Cheers, Giles. Have a good Brilliant. one. Cheers then. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Go back to the doll queue. Please don't tell Pete from the pub because he'll judge me, but I don't mind. I've been paying my taxes on time I'm not central, not essential I've never worked for the NHS Yeah, I've clapped hands and I beat pants Put away the kitchen utensils now Don't let your P45 give you chills Because we need jobs, we need work